you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them and turn with me to the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 4, uh, as you guys have already used, there's Bibles underneath your seat. And so if you don't have a Bible, uh, that's our gift to you. If you know someone's in need of a Bible, take that and give that away. Uh, that would be an awesome use uh, of those. Uh, but Colossians chapter 4 will kind of be our launching pad uh, today. So if you're a guest with us, uh, just to kind of say some things, um, kind of setting up our series that we're going to begin this morning. Uh, usually around here, our conviction, our normal kind of rhythms here at this church is we preach through books of the Bible. Uh, we go verse by verse, word by word through books of the Bible. Uh, it's kind of our normal kind of routine. Uh, so we'll actually start that in February. We'll go through for several months in the book of Colossians. And then we'll look at 1 Corinthians this year. And then uh, in the spring, we'll do a look at 1 Timothy and then leading into Advent again. So we'll be doing book studies for the majority of the year with kind of some in-between uh, topical kind of series happenings. That's kind of where we're going in 2016. Uh, but traditionally, we've said January to reserve uh, kind of the new year to be a season for us in focused prayer. Uh, and usually that's as leadership team, and we kind of have our, our go prayer service toward the end, have a lot of different rhythms. But uh, this year we said, what if we take all five Sundays in January and we just look together at what it means to be a people uh, who are a praying people? And so it's, a, it's a, m- a month-long emphasis that I pray is not just a series that we move on from, but it really does begin to shape the culture of our church. That we become a, a praying people. It's not just a series we move on from, but we have a month-long emphasis to start the year uh, off right. So Sunday sermons is what it's going to look like. So uh, next week uh, is a vision Sunday. Um, so I'm excited about that. Come back. Please come back. Invite your friends to come and be a part of that. So many awesome things that God's doing uh, here at our church. And so we're going to kind of put that out in front of you, uh, but under the umbrella of what it means to pray. So we're going to spend some time uh, praying about some of the things that God's doing, what it means to pray in community with one another, and to actually spend some time in our service to pray for one another and what God's doing. And uh, then the next week we'll look at the pattern of prayer. Uh, so looking at uh, the Lord's Prayer and what it Jesus said, pray like this. Uh, So what does that mean? So what are some things we can learn uh, from uh, the Lord's Prayer? And then we'll look at what it means to pray God's Word. Uh, Timothy Keller is an author from Manhattan, and he says this, that prayer is simply continuing a conversation that God has started in His Word. Isn't that beautiful? It's continuing the conversation that God has already began. So we're going to look three weeks from now at what it means to use the Bible as a means of prayer, to pray God's words back to him as a, as a relationship, not just us throwing words to a ceiling like it feels like sometimes, but to actually have a conversation with God. That's what prayer uh, is about. And then we'll spend some time at the end of January praying uh, for us to get, be on mission, that God would use our church uh, to have influence to see people know Jesus. And we're going to ask the Spirit to give us uh, some names of people who are in our circle of influence that we're to take the gospel to and to love and to show the love of Jesus to. So that's what's coming. Uh, but today what I want to do is just kind of set it up a little bit and talk about um, a vision of prayer. Maybe another way to put it, I'm on the struggle bus with this microphone today, aren't I? Uh, another way to put it is to relearn prayer. Because uh, some of us, many of us in this room grew up in church uh, some of us haven't grown up in church. Maybe this is the first time you've been in church in a really, really long time. And so almost everybody in this world has some version of an understanding of what prayer means, of what it is, of what it's not. Um, but I think all of us, almost all of us, have a sense of, I don't know, maybe frustration when it comes to prayer. Maybe a doubt that it doesn't really work. Uh, an understanding of, I don't really know how to start in prayer. It's always awkward for me. Uh, I think it's so many of us. And so 
that's what we want to do as a faith family is to look at that this morning uh, and the rest of uh, the month. But it's also kind of coming through our life groups as well. So if you don't know what a life group is, those are our small communities that we have here. It's the way to get connected, to be a part of a family. Um, and so we'll use our normal kind of routine in a life group, but kind of focus that on praying for one another. And so if you're not in a life group, man, we would invite you to, to join up with one of those because that's how the crowd here and the faces you're sitting next to in this room becomes family. And so we're going to be spending focused time in prayer together in community this month uh, more than we usually do. And then also we've developed, oh, I have one up here with me, or not, I do not, uh, a 31-day prayer guide. Uh, so you can find one of those, a hard copy at the hub as you exit out at those tables. We invite you all to pick one of those up, uh, to pick up one of those prayer guides. You can also get it on our app or on our website. And what we've done is as elders, we've said, here's 31 um, kind of emphasis that we feel like we need to pray for together as a faith family across both campuses. Uh, and so then different people in the church have written these little short uh, devotionals and guided prayer out of Scripture that relates to that topic. And so uh, we've already been doing that for the last two or three days. I hope if you were here last week, you've been journeying with us uh, for the last couple of days. Uh, but if not, go ahead and just jump in. Uh, today's what, the third? Right? Yes, so grab it and start on the third. And you maybe catch up a little bit on the other two if you want to. If you're like the o type A overachievers that want to catch up, you still have time. Uh, to do that. But please pick that up and let's pray together as a faith family over these things uh, this month. But we were with some leaders here this morning and we were spending some time in prayer together. And here's what we were talking about as leaders. And I want to kind of kick this off for us today. The goal for all of this that we're doing, we're going to have this full initiative to be a praying people. But here's the goal. The goal is to not to pray more. That's not our goal. The goal is not even to be necessarily even better prayers to where we feel better about ourselves and we're performing in a different way that's that's not the goal the goal is to be with jesus that that's the aim is we want to be a people and understand how all this complexities work but to actually understand what it means to be in a relationship with god because what he invites you into is a relationship with himself and prayer is not the only way that that happens but that is such a sweet gift that God has given us, that you have access into the very presence of God. And do we tap into it? Do we know what it means to be a praying people? Are we, would you describe your life to be in constant communion with God? And so I had it in Colossians 4, and here's kind of our, our theme verse, if you will. Again, so we're not going through a passage for this whole month. We're doing it kind of topically. But here's the, the launching pad that, that we're kind of using to ask God to do in us. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Paul writes to this church and says, continue steadfastly in prayer. Another way to say that is devoted in prayer. Being watchful in it, in prayer, with thanksgiving. Continue steadfastly in prayer. So some of your translations may say it differently. It may be, be devoted to prayer. Um, but that word literally means, uh, comes from this idea to, pers- to persist in something. To continually be devoted is to persist in something, to persevere in something, which almost implies that it's hard. <laughs> it almost implies if it was easy, he wouldn't say be devoted to it. But it, it, I think even the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul here is writing to us and saying, no, 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 prayer's hard. And you need to have a posture of life to say you're going to be committed to this kind of way of living. That you're going to be so devoted. Devoted, there's other ways you use this word throughout the New Testament. And actually, one of the, in the New Testament, in the Gospels, that there's the same word is used for that Jesus told the disciples to set aside a boat to get into. It's the same word that's used here for devoted. 
So this idea, if our lives are devoted to prayer, it's as if we have set aside our lives for the purpose of being with God in communion. It's the intentionality of our walks with Jesus, that it's, it's purposeful, it's intentional. To set aside your life for prayer. So some question, a question here for us. Uh, I want us to really ask the Lord, so not in the church game, putting the mask on and answering the questions like we know we have, to actually look into your life and look back over this last year and look at your normal schedules and how you live your life. Would you say that you're obedient to this short one verse that we're looking at this morning? That I look at my life and my life is characterized by saying it is set aside with God, devoted to prayer. Is that what is true for our church? Like all the things that we're busy doing, we're a busy people. We have a lot of agendas and calendars and programs and things that we do. Uh, would we be known to be a people who's devoted to prayer? And then a really provocative question. What would it look like if we were? Like what would that look like? What, what would we tap into if we were a people that was actually devoted like this? I mentioned earlier, praying with our African brothers and sisters. I mean, they're, they're just a people who are devoted to prayer. And I thought I was doing pretty good in this prayer category because like, I get paid to do this stuff, you know, so I'm praying all the time. Not really. I do other things and sit in my office and pray and drink coffee. But it is a lot of my day. Um, but I, I, I thought I was doing pretty good. And I'm, I'm seeing these brothers, and it's just so natural. And it's not just these like religious words that we say when we try to pray like, Heavenly Father, we beseech thee. Like, what in the world are we saying? Like, what is a beseech and what does that mean? Like, we use all this language and it's just not in a real place because we grew up having these rigid, um, now I lay me down to sleep type prayers. And those are good ones. I'm not against that. If you need that kind of help, be that. But what if prayer is a conversation? Like, really just overflowing from the Spirit of God in us, being with God. Like, being with Him. Like, that is something that's really special, and I'm praying that for me. I've realized how woefully inadequate I am at this. And so I'm asking God to do this in me. Uh, I get so distracted in prayer. Anybody else with me on that? And so, like, I want to be somebody that just wants to be um, with God. So let's do a little word study real quick, okay? And with this word devoted. Because this word that we see in Colossians is used uh, throughout the New Testament in four different other instances. And I think it kind of shows us what this life of prayer might look like for a church. So the words will be up on the screen. Uh, You can follow along up there. Uh, But here's what we see. This word devoted is used four other times. So what's the context? Here's the first one. We respond to the Great Commission through prayer. So in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, so the Acts is kind of the, the inside look, the documentary, if, we will, if you will, to see into the life of the early church. And here's, so Jesus had just left. I don't know why I got a stool. You guys know I can't sit down for a, a sermon. Um, they had just given the Great Commission. So basically Jesus says, all right, the marching orders of you as the church is to go to all nations and what? Make disciples, preach the gospel. And you're going to go to the places that hate you. And you're going to go to the, to the same city that just killed Jesus. And you're going to go to the places that you aren't even aware of yet, to the ends of the earth. So go. And he floats away into the sky. And they're like, uh, Jesus? <laughs> like, you've got to help us with this. You gave us these marching orders, and it's bigger than us. It's more than what we can do. And so here's what the first thing we see the, the New Testament church doing. After they received the Great Commission, their, their mission from Jesus himself, here's what they were doing. All of these, with one accord, were what? What's the word? Other than two people. Come on. You can read. All of these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. In light of the Great Commission, 
the only response is we have to pray. We have to be devoted, set aside for prayer. Here's the other one. After the Holy Spirit comes and the church is formed, Acts chapter 2, they live in community through prayer. They devoted themselves, verse 42, devoted, there's our word, to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Prayer was a centerpiece of this church, living life together. So they gathered together in a room kind of like this one. They would gather in homes, loving on one another, meeting each other's needs, walking through the apostles' teaching, the word of God together. But another intricate part of the normal rhythms of that local church, the early church, was prayer. God, if we're going to live life together, if we're really going to be made disciples, if we're really going to see God do something, we have to be devoted to prayer. The words used again in Romans, Paul uses it right into a local church at Rome, He tells them to endure all things through prayer. Because if you're going to live this life, life is hard, right? I mean, it's messy. We we get sinned against. We live in a fallen world. Our hearts are broken. And then following Jesus sometimes makes it harder. Because we're living counterculturally. We're dying to ourselves. We're taking up our cross. We're following God. And so Paul writes and says in Romans 12, 12, Rejoice in hope. Have joy in what is to come. Be patient in tribulation. And all God's people said, ouch. Right? Like, when life hurts, be patient. Be patient, because God is working in you. But then he says, be constant or devoted, committed, set aside to prayer. When life doesn't make sense, when life hurts, well, how do you respond? With bitterness, trying to fix it yourself, to check out, pursue your comfort? Or are we a people, when things don't make sense, and we look around and see the evil and the injustice of our world, do we just kind of ignore it and turn the news off? Or do we you know, get really bitter? Or What happens? Or, or are we a people that fall on our face and say, even so, come Lord Jesus, fix all of this. But while we are here, help us to be ambassadors of you, ministers of reconciliation. You've got to do this in us. Fix what is broken devoted to prayer in the midst of all the suffering of this world. And then go, let's go back to Acts. In chapter 6, we see this word used one more time, that the elders, the pastors, the overseers, lead the church through prayer. So what's happening is the church is growing in Acts, and people's needs aren't being met, so they say, we're going to devote deacons or servants to kind of meet the needs of the congregation. And here's what the elders, the pastors, the leaders of that day said in the context of they're going to set up deacons. Verse 4, But we, the elders, will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. We're going to set up these deacons to kind of help meet the needs of the church. Not that the elders were above meeting the needs, but they said if we're going to be a part of all that God's doing in us, we have to lead from our knees. We're going to not be so tied down to the affairs of the church so much so that we forget to be with God. As leaders and your pastors, we want to have that heart. And we're praying that that verse 7 is the result that happens in Johnson City as a result. Because as they were praying, as they met the needs of the deacons, and they devoted themselves to the ministry of prayer and the word, and the word of God continued to increase. I mean, I want you to get a vision for what this would look like in our community. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. The leaders praying, a church devoted to prayer. And what happens is the word of God is going to increase. If we're praying, we're going to be about the things of God. We're going to love what he loves. We're going to hate what he hates. We want our lives to count for what he's doing in the world. And so the word by proxy is going to increase. As we begin to pray, the word will begin to increase. And the result of holding out the word, lives will be changed. 
As we pray and hold out the word, lives will be changed. Because when the word gets in us, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we want to we have faith. We want to see people in our community have faith. We want to see the nations have faith. And it happens as we are a people led by the Spirit of God and empowered with the tool of the Word of God to speak it in evangelism, to speak the gospel, to encourage one another, to rebuke one another. The Word has power. And we want to be a people who's, who's devoted to prayer and ministry of the Word. And the result is all the things we're praying for to happen in our church God's promise that if you will be devoted to praying and asking him to move in this way, he's promised to come through. Those are prayers that God will answer. And I want us to be that kind of people that has faith to believe that something could happen here. Like not for sake of just a ministry growing or more uh, rear ends and seats here. We're not trying to grow big numbers. We want to see the kingdom of God advance. We want to partner with other churches to see that advance. Organizations in our community, it begins on our knees. Prayer is not part of the work. It is the work. It is the work. So, if the elders lead the church through prayer, your elders are asking four things out of this series. Okay, so here's what we've been praying. I invite you to pray this with us. Here's what I'm asking God to do. We're asking these four things. We're asking as we're devoted to prayer that what will result is a deeper abiding joy in God as we worship Him together. That your joy in Jesus would be fuller than it's ever been this year that you can actually enjoy walking with God and you abide in Him and become like Him. We're also asking that greater unity would happen here in our church as we pray for one another. There's something special. If you got, I mean, let's just be honest. People are hard to get along with because you're hard to get along with. We're all hard to get along with. There's something about, you're, it's really hard to hold a grudge. It's really hard to be divided against one another. It's really hard to compare with one another if you're praying for them. That's one of the, married people, that's one of the greatest Tools of the trade there. You have an out against your spouse. You've got to talk about it. You've got to work. But pray for them. And you'll find that not only will God begin to change their hearts, but he'll begin to change your heart. There's something about um, praying for one another that will create unity. We're asking that that would happen. We're asking that strongholds would be destroyed as we fight together. So Ephesians would say that we are fighting a war right now. There's a war going on for your soul. There's a war happening for your joy. And so we want to fight together. We want to say we're praying against spiritual warfare. We're praying against the enemy. We're asking that change would fall off, that we actually experience all that God has for us. But we do that for one another. We're asking that strongholds would be torn down. The walls that divide races and divide socioeconomic uh, backgrounds and divides different preferences and political parties would all be torn down Because guess what? Jesus has already torn down those walls. And we want to experience it. We want the strongholds and every argument against Jesus to be torn away. And then lastly, we're praying for doors of opportunity to be opened as we believe together. We're asking that God would continue to give us wisdom of what it looks like to be on mission. How do we get mobilized as a faith family to do the vision that God's called us to, to reach this community for Jesus, to see all nations know Jesus? How do we do that? What are you doing, God? What's your activity? How are you at work? And how can we jump in to what you're doing? We want our lives to count for that. So we're praying for wisdom. We're praying that God would continue to pave the way for us to to be about this. All right. So that's what we're praying. But this idea of devoted to prayer. I, I want us to, I've already said it before, but I want to make sure we're clear. Being devoted to prayer is not just adding more prayer to your schedule. 
That's not what this means. So we're praying all these things. This is what it's going to look like as a posture of our church. But that is not what it means. It does mean that. We'll probably have that set aside time. That is important. But what I'm praying is that we can, it defines the way we view our lives. It defines everything differently. We see our world differently. So here's the question that we've already kind of been wrestling with. We'll move on from it quickly. But what if prayer is more of a relationship with a person? More than it is a duty to perform. Because that's a different paradigm. If it's something you've got to add to your life, something else you've got to add to your already busy schedule, you may be a really disciplined person to be able to do that, or maybe you're just going to check out and just give up on it. But it's not a duty. There's some discipline to it. We have to consist in it. We have to persist. It's hard. But it's a delight because we get to be with Jesus. And I know we know that, especially if you've been in church any length of time. Your prayer is talking to God. You know, it's communion with the Father. But do you really approach uh, prayer in that way? Like who you're talking to. Like the creator of the universe longs for you to be in his presence. and You have access to talk to him anytime, in any way. You have access to that. And do you take advantage of it? Is that something that you would say is characteristic of your life? And so I won't spend too much time here, but this is true for the Apostle Paul. You, you know, he wrote a lot of the New Testament, right? So Paul turned Saul, God changed his life, God used him to write scripture. Um, he says over 15 times, I chased this this week. I'm a nerd and do word studies all the time. 15 different times, Paul uses this idea of devoted to prayer to describe his own prayer life. So for Paul, prayer was not just something that he just kind of did on the side. It was something he did without ceasing. That's why 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 16, the words will be up here. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Pray without ceasing. And then so 14 other times, Paul says, he's talking to the churches and says things like, I'm praying for you without ceasing. I'm praying for you constantly, at all times, night and day, without fail. That's the way he describes his, his relationship to these churches. I'm praying all the time for you. It wasn't just something he added. It was the way he approached life constant so listen if that's true it changes the way you see your tomorrow your monday morning it changes the way we view anxiety when you begin to worry what do you do well to pray without ceasing means not that i have that 30 minutes or five minutes in the morning when i pray we need to have that time but it's this posture of every time i feel fear creeping up i'm turning that fear into a prayer Every time I get a good gift of a cup of coffee, praise the Lord, or whatever it is, I'm I'm turning that good gift into a prayer of thanksgiving. When I have a difficult person, I'm saying, God, what are you doing in that person's life? Help me see that person through your eyes and give me patience, amen, and wisdom and love and gentleness to love this person. Don't let me respond out of the flesh. Like, I want you to love that person through me. It's It's a posture of prayer. As you go into meetings, guys that work you gotta have these sales jobs or whatever you're doing like as you're walking into the room and throw up what we call a flare prayer and say god let me show who you are and let me cre- be created in your image let me reflect you as i'm having this conversation as we're making decisions and selling stuff like let it be rooted in your word just have that constant rhythm of prayer when the bottom falls out then you don't have to try to figure out how to pray because you are just you're you're a praying person and you know exactly what to do you just begin to trust and have faith that's what we're asking god uh, to do in us there's a book on prayer his name's the author's name is paul miller he has this quote that i think it describes some of this he says that learning to pray does not offer us a less busy life 
because our lives are busy, right? I mean, we're going everywhere, and if we say, man, i got to find time to steal away and pray. Yes, we do. Get up earlier, set your alarm, find dedicated time to pray. But what if learning to pray doesn't make us less busy, because that's, you know, that's impossible. But it offers us a less busy heart. That's what it means to pray without ceasing, that your life has a constant just rest, because you have a trust of God. You have this relationship with God that no matter what comes in your day that day, I trust that God's in control. This is coming from his hand. I know that God has, his, has my best in his mind and his heart toward me. So I, I don't have to doubt his heart right now. When I can't see his hand, I'm going to trust his heart because I know what's true. And I, I've been talking with him and I, I can trust him. I have this relationship with him. It settles our heart. It gives us just this, this quiet resting uh, of our souls. And we see this modeled in the life of Jesus, okay? This was the pattern of Jesus. And so Jesus is not just our example. He's our Savior, right? He's our substitute. But we look at his life, that Jesus himself, God in the flesh, was this kind of person. That Jesus was busy, right? I mean, you read the Gospels, it's just constant. He's going, 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 doing so much, so much need. But he has this this less busy heart. He's just so in tune uh, with God. He had a regular set-aside alone time with his father. Jesus did. God himself had this, this abiding relationship with God. Mark one thirty five is one example that we see here. Jesus is rising very early in the morning while it was still dark. And some of you are going, oh my goodness, that's because Jesus was Jesus. I ain't doing that, right? Um, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. You get a picture of that, like, Get stealing away and just in those quiet, dark moments, just spending time with his Father. Man, we get to see some access into some of those prayers as we read the Gospels of what Jesus prayed for us. But that was his rhythm. And as he's going to the Garden of Gethsemane, the, the New Testament says that as was his custom, he went away to pray. The disciples knew that's what was going to happen. Because they're walking with him. They see him living this lifestyle of constant communion with prayer. That's why when he left, what was the first thing we saw them do? pray they learned that from jesus like they'd seen jesus live that kind of lifestyle constantly talking with his father here's a here's a statement that jesus was too busy not to pray too busy not to pray so i love this it's so refreshing for my heart luke chapter 5 verse 15 so get an inside look at the life and ministry of jesus but now even more the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmity so he's Showing the kingdom of God, all this stuff's happening. And so, of course, he's drawing a crowd. More people want to get what Jesus has to offer. But I love what verse 16 says. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Like, think about what that means. There's people lined up wanting Jesus to help and to do what he's here to do. He came to save. He came to show the kingdom of God. He said, no, no, there's moments that I have to leave the crowds. I'm too busy not to pray. All of these crowds are pressing in. And, and so some of us, these, these, we want to do more. We want to do more. We can't leave all the needs. We can't spend time with prayer. It seems like it's wasted time. There's things we got to do, all right? We got to live life. And Jesus would say, no, 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 I'm too busy not to pray. There's all this need around me. And instead of just trying to meet more need, he was God. He could have met every need. But instead he said, no, I'm, in his humanity, he's going to steal away and withdraw from the crowds, from the noise, and be with Jesus, be with the Father. It was his constant rhythm. And that is why John 15, Jesus would say to his disciples right before he dies, apart from me, you can do what? Remember? Nothing. 
So if you're going to try to do all this that I'm calling you to do on your own, you're going to fail. You can't live this life if you're not in communion with God. You've got to remain. That word abide means to stay close, to stay connected, to linger, to be so connected to God that's not just your time in the morning and then you disconnect and you go about your life. It's a constant dependence on God. He says, apart from that happening, you can do nothing. So don't try. You're going to get burnt out. God calls you to something deeper, something better. And I think that's why so many of us don't understand prayer or not living that way. is because we're just too busy. We're running around with so much noise, and we are so terrible at being silent. We're so terrible at just, just moving distractions, just being there. Like if I sit there for any length of time, I've got my phone out, like checking Twitter or my emails or something. Like I can't just rest and just completely check off. I think there's one reason why we can't hear God. It's because we're so busy moving around, you can't hear His voice. What if He's whispering to us? He's screaming to us through His Word. But we have not been intentional to say, I'm going to remove some of this so I can hear God speak. And that's not some supernatural, like, you know, spelling out your Cheerios, a message, or anything like that. God speaks through His Word. He leads us. He guides us. But as I was studying this, and I got thinking about this idea, that the prayer life of Jesus, why did Jesus, who was fully God, pray? I mean, he can do anything. Like, why is he praying? Did you see the Trinity happening here? Like, why is he praying? Like, he knows the heart of God. He's walking with God. Why is he praying? Well, listen, I think that if Jesus were here, we would say, can you separate your life from your relationship with the Father? I think Jesus would say, there's no way. Like, there's no way that I can separate what I do from my intimacy with the Father. Because throughout eternity, what happened in the Trinity? They're enjoying this unity, this fellowship, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this perfect unity, this perfect relationship that's happening. He defined himself by his relationship with his Father. He's always saying, I'm doing the Father's will. I'm living in light of my Father. My Father has sent me. I'm doing what my Father has commanded me. It's constant. And we can't understand that, because here's why. Sin is a, is a breaking of that. Because of sin, we are no longer in constant communion with the Father. That is not our reality. That's the way we were created for, but that's not true. Because sin is the saying, I don't want to live in constant communion with the Father. I'm okay to be isolated. I'm okay to live life in my own strength. I'm okay to live for my agenda and not my own. I want to live independently from God. That's what sin is. And what Jesus is doing in the gospel is restoring us back to this intimacy with God. So Jesus, why, he, why is he praying? That's his life. That is what it looks like to have no sin, is to be constantly tied in with God himself. I love this quote. It's kind of lengthy, but the words are on the screen, so follow with me, hang with me on this. Uh, Paul Miller would say it like this. Jesus knows himself only in relationship with his Father. He can't conceive of himself outside of that relationship. That's why, get this, this is so, it's opened my eyes so much to the reality of this. That's why contemplating the terror of the cross at Gethsemane, by the way, while he was praying, was such an agony for Jesus. He had never, get this, he had never experienced a moment when he wasn't in communion with his Father. And when he looked into that cup and saw, listen, that he was going to be separated from this relationship with the Father. Because, so we wouldn't have to be separated. So that we could have access to pray, to be with God again. When he saw what was going to happen for the first time in all of eternity, he's going to be away from his Father. 
And he's sweating like great drops of blood. And that's when he cries out, Father, let this cup pass from me. Don't leave me. Don't leave me. Like, I want to be with you. That's why I exist. Like, I do not have you with me. That's why he cries out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For the first time, he's experiencing a separation of that. Why? So that you could be accepted. And I could be accepted. So that we could have access again to God. He took our debt, was separated instead of us, so that we could now be restored and to say no to sin and to actually be transformed from the inside out to be with Him again. The gospel will restore us to what we were made for. Constant communion with the Father. That's why Paul says, pray without ceasing. It's a lifestyle that's just constantly walking with God. Like I don't know about you, I crave that. I want it so much. Sometimes I feel like God's so far away. But here's the reality of it. Listen, we do not have to create intimacy with God. He has already created intimacy for you. It's what Jesus has accomplished for you. We just have to make room for it. We just have to step in to all that God has already given us. It's as if the gift is there. You just have to open it. So God, would you please do this in us? So as we close, and all God's people said, yeah, right, I know. As we close, listen, three barriers to prayer. And then we're going to actually spend some time uh, listening to God. Real quick, I'm going to run through these very, very quickly. Here's our, why I think we don't pray. I want us to lean into this, okay? First one is distraction. Intimacy is never accidental. We're so distracted. We're so just consumed with all the things going on with life. And listen, it takes work. It takes devotion. It takes commitment. It takes persistence. And here's the reality of it. Prayer exposes our excuses. And it reveals to us the true condition of our heart. It's not an issue of a lack of time. It's an issue of a lack of affection. We, can make, we make time for our priorities. We do it all the time. We will carve out things that we love. But yet finding time with God just seems so foreign to us. It's not a matter of our focus on, it's more of a matter of our focus on God than it is not knowing how to pray or being too busy. So God, if this is my barrier, don't let me be so distracted. Let me have focus to focus on you. A second barrier, disbelief. We want to embrace faith over naive optimism or callous cynicism. Here's what I know. Listen, we don't pray because we just don't believe. We don't believe. That's the nature of it. We do not yearn for God because we have faulty views of who He is. We have faulty views of ourselves. And here's, the way to, here's the two ends that it comes together, okay, as we close. Listen, naive optimism. Everything is awesome, right? Disney or Pixar, whoever made that movie, everything's awesome. And it's like, I'm just going to think that everything's okay. And so we're not going to pray because you're just naively optimistic about life, that you don't really have an understanding of your sinfulness. You don't really have an understanding of how great the need is. We don't really have an understanding of how big this mission is. It's, it's over our head. Like, I don't think we really, really get it. And when you awaken to the reality of your need, like you've got to wake up and say it's not all fluffy. Like it, life is hard, there's issues going on. And then when you really begin to have the layers peeled back of our eyes to see ourselves for who we really are, to see the need that's happening, to see what God's calling you to, you will begin to pray. You will. 
So prayer begins when we realize we are utterly unable to meet the needs of our lives. Utterly unable. We're so self-sufficient, we think we're better than we actually are. But here's what happens when we awaken to the need. It's then we become bitter. Because we're not, no longer naively optimistic. We actually see the need, and we do a really bad job of being somewhere in the middle. Usually we'll come over here and then become callously cynical. So we're no longer op- naively optimistic. We know how bad the world is. We know the depths of our sinfulness. We realize the suffering of this world. And instead of having faith, we begin to just resort to, why pray in the first place? It begins to callous our heart to be distant from God, to say, he doesn't have my best at heart. What's the use? So here's some things that I think this means for us. Why pray if God is sovereign over all things? You ever thought that? If God's going to do it anyway, why am I supposed to pray? He's already going to do it. He's already decided how things are going to turn out. That's what he means to be God. So why pray? This is callous cynicism. It's not believing what God has said. I've prayed over and over again, and nothing ever changes. Anybody been there? You pray for joy, and there's just no joy. You pray for reconciliation, and there's never any reconciliation. You pray for this thing, and God never seems to give it to you. So what's the use? Callous cynicism. Then when actually God does answer your prayer, here's what we do. Well, it would have happened anyway, right? It's just a coincidence. Like, God actually answers prayer. Instead of being thankful to it, it would have happened anyway. That's what sin does. We either just avoid all the issues and don't pray, or we don't pray because we really don't trust God. We're just so just hurt by this world. Now, that's just the reality of it. But listen, we can't place hope in the wrong places. We can't be naively optimistic. But we also can't lose hope altogether because of Jesus. Like, he, there is hope. So here's a statement. Prayer begins when we stop looking for pleasant results and we begin to look for deeper realities. We stop looking for pleasant results, everything to happen the way I want it to happen, and we begin to look for deeper realities. Faith understands that God is always in the matter, no matter what the matter is. Faith believes. He's working. He's doing something in me. And prayer, what if prayer, it does move the heart of God, but what if it's more about me, like changing me and to show me my sin and to have more relationship to see the world differently? And we see that God's always in the matter, no matter what the matter is. And then lastly, doubt. We have to learn to trust again. We just doubt. And here's what I think we doubt. We doubt that God really loves us. Because if you don't pray, here's what might be true. Here's a, the check engine light on the dashboard of our hearts. Here's what's true. We don't believe the gospel. So many of us, because we see the sinfulness of our lives, we say, you know what? I can't go into the presence of God. I'm a mess. Anybody felt that way? Well, listen, why do we have access into the, in the presence of God? Is it because we're good people? Is that why we have access? We have access to the presence of God because of the blood of Jesus. That's why we pray in the name of Jesus. We don't pray in our name. If we're coming on our merit, man, we can't get there. But we pray on the the merit of another. We go boldly into his throne of grace because he is our high priest who's interceded for us. So listen, if you don't believe the gospel, you'll never pray. You'll try to fix yourself and then come to pray. And that's not what God calls us to. So often we allow our weaknesses to cause us to run away from God rather than to God. How often you say, man, I would love to pray, but man, I haven't read my Bible in two weeks. Why would I go talk to God? Why would he ever want to hear anything I have to say? I don't make time for him. I got this gross addiction in my life that no one knows about. I prayed for him to take it away, and he hasn't taken it away, so he must just have left me. He doesn't love me. 
So you walk away from prayer because you just doubt. And you've got to learn to trust again. We have to learn to believe the gospel is true. He, loves, he sees your utter sinfulness. And he hates your sin. He does. That guilt is real. But if you're in Christ, he's taking it away. You have full freedom to know him. And he forgives you fully and cleanses you totally so that you can run boldly in his presence. Yes, you're sinful, but because of Jesus, you are utterly accepted. Not based on what you do, but based on what he has done. And that should cause us to want to run to be with God if we believe that. So as I really am closing, here's my last statement. The only requirement to come to Jesus is weakness. We just read it and sang it. Come to me, all you who are, have it all together. Come to me, all who have your stuff in a row, that you're really, really righteous. Is that what Jesus said? No, he said, come to me, all you who are weary, beaten down with life, all you who are heavy laden, that just made a mess, all of you who are distracted when you pray, all of you who don't know what to say when you get alone with God, all of you who think about anything and everything but God when you're trying to pray, all you who really don't believe that God's promises are true, come to me. He does not say, fix yourself and then come. He says, come to me and I will fix you. So let's believe the gospel in that way. All right, so let's bow together and let's pray uh, to God to ask him to do this um, in us. And one of the, my favorite um, interchanges with Jesus, guys, hang with me. We're going to be out here in just a, just a few minutes. Uh, but I want us to spend some time in corporate prayer before the Lord. So this is a space to do what we've been talking about, to actually be with God. Here's a, a promise. Uh, you can keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. I want to read this over us to set up what the team's going to lead us through this one last song. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For, who, for everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. And you say, how can I believe that? That he actually wants to hear from me. He, how do I know? Then he gives an example. Or which one of you, when the son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if his son asks for a fish, he will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Do you believe that that is God's heart toward you? that he is a good, good father, and that his heart toward you is generous. It's open. He says, I want to give you an abundance of blessing, but you just have to come. And you've got to come like a little child. Little children are not put together. They come messy. They're persistent. Asking for it over and over and over again until you parents get worn down and listen. And he says, come to me that way. Pester me. <laughs> Keep asking me. Come to me like a little kid, fully trusting that I'll do it. And come to me messy. Kids don't have any pretense. They're just coming to you the way they are. So, man, come before the Lord like that. He is your father, and you are his son. You are his daughter. Do you believe that God's heart is, he longs to be with you. He likes you. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to sing this song as a prayer. God, you are a good, good father. That's who you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am. We have to understand that this really is the reality. He invites us into this. 
So as we just stay seated in the posture of prayer, you're praying this, we're going to sing this song um, from our hearts to the Lord.